So one fine day, uh, an atheist flea and a Catholic flea were walking along a dog's back. And the Catholic flea says to the atheist flea, isn't it great that this dog provides everything for us, provides shelter for us, provides warmth for us, provides everything that we need. And the atheist flea says to the Catholic flea, what are you talking about? Have you ever seen this dog? Hmm? Have you ever seen him? Have you ever spoken to him? How do you know this dog actually even exists? It's a little analogy, a little metaphor, a little comparison to explain to us how we are held in existence by God. We're held in existence by God. But God isn't like us. I can't, like as a flea, I can't talk to God as, as if God were another flea. But you're, like, you're held in existence by him. And everything that exists around us is provided for us by him. <clears throat> so can we see him face to face? Well, not, not exactly. Not, not as we can see each other. No. No. But like, God the Father doesn't have a physical body. How do you want to do that? Jesus does have a physical body, but it ha happens to be in heaven at the moment. So... Yeah, we don't talk to, to God like you talk to the person beside you at the moment. That's not the way we relate to God. God. Our relation with God is very different because God is different. God is not one of us. As in, yes, Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature, but God as a trinity is not like you and me. All right, God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. You are none of those. No offense to you. You're great. Uh, but we're, God, God isn't one of us. And, you know, I, I mean, I, as I say, I know like, the incarnation <clears throat> means that Jesus share, shares our nature. <clears throat> but even though he shares our nature, he also has a divine nature as well. So, like, yes, he's one of us, but at the same time, he's, he's also God. So, so when we talk about relating to God or communicating with God, uh, Jesus is never just one of the lads. God is just never another person that we communicate with. So this is important because when we're talking then about prayer, which is the theme of our gospel, uh, it's very, very important for us to keep in mind who we're speaking to, who we are in this relationship, who we're speaking to, who I am, <coughs> excuse me, and, and who I'm speaking to. Because the Lord says something which sounds absolutely wonderful. But there's a kind of a, a difficulty with this. So the Lord says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But the one who asks always receives. As if we didn't hear it the first time, right? He goes on to say, For the one who asks always receives. The one who searches always finds. And the one who knocks will always have the door open to him. And you read this and you go, That's fantastic. But what about the things I prayed for that I didn't get? What about the things that my intentions or my problems, which I prayed for, which are still there? So like Jesus is saying something which sounds absolutely wonderful. And if he says it, it's true. And it's in the Bible, so it's true. But that's not my experience. You know, and there will be this kind of, for most of us, this kind of, this kind of tension. You read that and you go, yeah, I, I, I like it. But my experience is different. Okay, so we, I think it's important to, to be honest and know how to, to reconcile what we've just read, what we've just heard, remember the words of Jesus, and, and our lives. Okay, so a couple of things. 
we may be praying for something and remember hearing about these two kids uh, and one of them was, was praying for a new bike I was praying, 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 praying for a new bike, I want a new bike, Jesus, I want a new bike, Jesus, I want a new bike, Jesus, I want a new bike. And a friend of his saw this spectacle of this, this guy praying and said, what are you doing? I'm praying for a new bike. Okay. So a week later, did you get the new bike? Did Jesus answer your prayer? He said, no, the, the, the new bike hasn't arrived. And another week after that, well, did, did, did Jesus answer your prayer? No, 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 not yet. And another week went by and he asked again, well, did Jesus answer your prayer? And the first guy said, um, yes. He said no. So, so sometimes the answer to our prayer is, is no. Like we're praying for something which, which isn't good. We're praying for something which um, it's not the right time. So we're praying for something which might, might seem like a, a good thing at the time, but, but like there is a bigger picture in God's mind, in God's plan. There's something, something bigger going on here. Uh, like I even think about you know, how my how my own folks met through my dad going to hospital. You know, how couples meet, so through strange or unfortunate circumstances, but then something really good comes out of it. You know, so uh, we don't always know why the Lord allows these things, but in hindsight afterwards, and especially from the perspective of heaven, we'll see how even the difficulties and things were woven into, into God's plan, and how they, they realized how something good came from it. So, firstly, we can, be, we can pray for something, and the answer to that prayer may be no. We can pray for something, and the answer to that prayer may be not yet. Not yet. So it's also a question of timing. Like, as a, an example I often use, like but when we were kids, uh, my mom had a wonderful set of steak knives. So when I would ask her as a seven-year-old, Mom, can we take the steak knives? Myself and my brother, your son, Tom, you might be familiar with him, um, we want to go play swords. Mom would say, uh, no, because I love you, no. <laughs> right? Because we would have really hurt each other. Now, as an adult, I don't have to ask my mom anymore for a steak knife. I can use it myself without permission. Okay, so the time has come when now I can be trusted. I can be more or less trusted with a steak knife. Okay, so, so like there's a time, timing, right? So we're praying for something and, you know, it may happen like as a 16, 17 year old, you're praying that somebody, this particular person will fall madly in love with you. A bit early for that kind of thing, but look, I mean, pray away like, <laughs> it's a bit early, you know, but who knows, who knows, who knows, maybe, yeah. So the answer may be, the answer to your prayer may be no. The answer to your prayer may be, not yet. The answer to your prayer may be, yes. The answer to your prayer may be, yes. So you pray for something, and you entrust that intention to the Lord. You give control over. So like you're not commanding God to do something in your name. You're asking Jesus to do something in his name. You're asking Jesus, to, or you're asking the Father to do something in Jesus' name. We're not commanding God. We're humbly submitting to his will and asking the Lord, yes, for, for a certain intention, for someone's healing, for, uh, to conceive a child or to, to, to get a job, to resolve a relationship problem, to resolve uh, an issue of, of, of depression or sadness, to resolve just an, an inner 
anger or tension or hurt or wound and you bring these things to the Lord and then he starts to work and something starts to happen and we start to improve, we get better. So yes, sometimes the answer to, to, to our prayer is yes, I will and now is the time. Okay, but we just, we always, just, in, in our prayer lives, we just always have to let God be God and, and stop feeling, thinking that our prayer lives mean that we can tell God what to do and give him the, the schedule in which he should do it. Let God be God. But we come to him as a child, right? as his child. So, and and we've see, you see this all the time. If you have younger brothers or sisters, maybe you remember it yourself. Where as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, you go to your mom or dad with whatever the problem is. You know, I've got a, a toothache, I've got a headache, I've got a sore finger, I've got a tawn, um, or I can't find my socks, I can't find my gloves. Um, or you're playing outside in the one day of two day, one or two days of snow that we get a year here and you come inside and you're practically blue and um, you're like a little smurf running into the house and you say to your mommy, 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 can I have my boots? I can't find my boots because my feet are getting wet. Your mom will say, not only will I give you boots, I'll give you your winter jacket, your gloves, a scarf, a hat, and maybe some floats as well, just to, you know, like you'll get way more than you asked because mom sees your needs, okay? So when we go to God, God isn't a minimalist where I'll give you just enough to survive, just to keep your head above water. You'll be grand. That's not how he sees things. Sometimes he'll give us actually more than we ask. Sometimes I actually, uh, when I go up to my, my hermitage at night, I actually marvel at how good God is and how he gives us more than we need. Like none of us need, like we will survive without so many things here. You know, there's so many. Uh, I heard a, a talk recently from someone who said, imagine being, imagine living, say, 150 years ago. Imagine being the richest person in the world 150 years ago. Okay, so mid-19th mid, mid century, we'll say, right? So 1870 or whatever. You're the richest person in the world, okay? You're the richest person in the world. You could own half a country. You could own half of India, okay? Or half of a country in Africa, or have, own Ireland, own England. It doesn't matter. Maybe be the Queen of England, right? Or king, for that matter. Back in the mid-19th century. Okay. Would that, would, that, would that interest you? Would that be a good thing? You know, the richest person in the world, Okay, how do you go to the bathroom? Uh, a bucket, generally speaking. And if you were very rich, your bucket would kind of hang off the edge of your building and drop down onto the street. Okay, how do you travel, right? Mid-19th century, how do you travel? Horseback, maybe. Carriage, if, you're, if you wish. Have you ever traveled in a carriage? You know what the wheels are made of? Wood with a band of steel around them. Okay, no shock absorbers, no suspension. Okay, no air conditioning anywhere. Okay, so when you have time off, what do you do? Listen to music? If you go to a concert, yes. Otherwise, no. There's no entertainment unless you go somewhere. Okay, what's, like, what's, interior, what's heating like in your average castle? A big open, smoky fireplace, right? And say you want to travel somewhere, so you're, you're loaded, you've all the time in the world and all the money in the world. 
So you want to go to, let's go to Italy, from England. What does that mean? Well, it means you either sail ridiculously around Gibraltar and go the whole way into the Mediterranean, or you horseback or carriage ride across Europe, which will take months. Okay. So, I mean, the more you think about things, we have been, the, the way we live now, the comfort that we have, the access to entertainment that we have, the books, the internet, uh, sewage, electricity, even like the richest person in the world, right? Um, back in the day, could you just order a Chinese? See, these are the important things, okay? As, as, as the Queen of England back, back in the mid-19th century, could you order a Chinese? Could you get some Thai? Could you get a Thai curry? Could you have like, any food you wanted on demand? Well, not really. There were no freezers or fridges. The thing had to be killed, slaughtered that day and brought to you if you wanted it. There were no freezers. You couldn't, so the, the only thing what you had here was, was that was what you ate. Point I'm trying to make is that the way we live now is more comfortable, is more protected, is warmer, is safer than the richest person in the world 150 years ago, even 100 years ago. You understand? Like, the wealth that we have now, the way we live now, is more comfortable than the richest person in the world 100, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. So like, the Lord hasn't just given us enough to survive. We have way more than we need. Way more. You know, like if you're, some evening you can just go onto your phone and order something from France or from Italy and have it delivered here within a week. Back in the day, you'd have to send a fellow with a horse to pick it up for you. Honestly. Mental. <laughs> the way we live now is so comfortable. You can say, maybe this summer we'll go to, I don't know, we go to America. Maybe we will. Yeah, sure, why not? Look into it. Uh, tickets for... Uh, off peak here, 450 euro. Not bad. Before you'd have to sail and maybe die. <laughs> you know what I mean? The way we live, it's so comfortable, the way we live today. So God has given us, already blessed us so much, so much. So we can just marvel at how generous God has been with us. So when we pray, the answer to our prayer may be, no, this isn't good for you. The answer to your prayer may be not now. The answer to your prayer may be yes. But th th there's an interesting detail here. If you then who are evil know how to give your children what is good, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He will give the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, we may not necessarily receive everything we ask for, but we always receive something, right? So we always receive. We always receive the Lord. Because when I pray, this deepens my relationship with him, deepens my reliance on him, deepens the fact that I lean on him. So that's preparing me for heaven. So leaning on the Lord, relying on him, trusting in him, coming to him with my intentions, this prepares me for heaven. So in prayer, I never go away empty-handed. Never. And that's why the Lord can say this. Ask and it will be given to you. You will not go away empty-handed if you pray. You will not, ever. In all things, we will, we will deepen our relationship with the Lord by, by, by prayer. And so nothing is wasted, nothing is lost. 
So we ask the Lord today to renew our trust in our prayer, to renew our childlike dependence on him, that when the Lord answers our prayer, when he says no, that we'll understand, when he says not now, that we will have patience, when he says yes, that we will thank him, but that in all things, in all of our prayer, we will receive him joyfully and be consoled by his presence.